Auto Pod, the game where no one wins. I'm your co-host Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host Dylan Hensley. And this, well, I guess we can just dive right into it. I don't, I don't have any good chatter. This Do you have a, any good chatter? This is a normal episode. Yeah. Welcome back. Back to, back to format. Is this the first one back to format? Yeah. It is. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah, it is. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed last week's fest episode. Um, a little inside baseball. Uh, we're recording this way in advance, so we haven't even done the fest episode yet. So we'll <laughs> hopefully it. Uh, hopefully there is a fest episode. Yeah, and it's entertaining. Um, so anyway, back. <laughs> Wasn't that great? <laughs> so now that we are back on format, we put in the. Oh, that's right. I used to explain the years. <laughs> Uh, we're out of practice on the regular episode. So, yeah. So, in order to determine which year we're going to be discussing, we put in the years 1976 and 2018 into a number generator, and we wound up with the year 1979. And what we like to do with these is to um, take a look at what else came out in that year. So, going to rate your music, looking at the 1979 punk charts as rated by users in the United States. So, 197999. Is that how that song goes? Uh, uh, 197666. <laughs> oh, so they weren't talking about the post punk band 999? All right, number one on the list. That joke did not fly. <laughs> nope, didn't land. Uh, number one on the list is The Fucking Clash, London Calling. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong charts. What are you? I'm looking, looking at, at the world charts. Number one on that one is, uh, I'll leave it. We'll talk about it this way. Okay. That's number fair. one on the world charts is uh, "Unknown Pleasures" by Joy Division. That's number two on the U.S. charts. Okay, so there. What's number three? <laughs> number three is "Talking Heads: Fear of Music." Okay, there's some consistency. Uh, well, I'm I'm kind of torn on that "Fear of Music" album. I mean, it, it it's not my favorite yet. It's like the most critically acclaimed album. I don't know. I don't get it. I like Fear of Music a lot. I would put it pretty far up there. Um, but no, More Songs is my favorite. Yeah. And I even love um, Speaking in Tongues. That's the one with like the hits. Like, yeah. Burning yeah, yeah. Down the House. And that was like the big pop breakout album, I guess. Because Remain in Light has. Uh, what? Same as it ever was? Is that the name of that song? <laughs> The song that doesn't fit on that record, yeah, yeah, the best song on the album. Mm, I like "Born Under Punches," the first track. Hmm. I mean, "Remain in Light" it was in the middle of that like African rhythms thing that they were doing, which Fear of Music kind of started. Yeah, it's the last um, Eno record, isn't it? <laughs> and it's the most Eno record. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever have you ever watched the show documentary now. Yeah. Did you see the one where they made fun of Talking Heads? I didn't see that one, but I'm familiar with it. Like, I've heard about it. Yeah, there's, there's one where they make fun of the uh, uh, that super famous uh, Talking Heads uh, concert film. Uh, what is it Once in a Lifetime? Is that what it's called? Maybe. I'm not sure. But um, in it, they, they're, like, making fun of that concert. And at one point, they talk about doing, like, it's, like, tibetan monks or something like playing bells and on some of their albums 
and then like they come out and they play the songs with them. Yeah. And uh and uh Bill Hader's character was like, Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of uh that era of the band <laughs> talking about Are you talking <laughs> about like the The Talking Heads documentary concert film or whatever is stop it it stopped making sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jonathan Demi. Yeah, because they have, because they do have like the I don't know. It's like a lot of bongos and stuff come out at one point in that. I can't remember, but yeah, it's not my least favorite era of Talking Heads, but there's good stuff on it. Um, number four is Gang of Four. How fitting. Gang of Four. Yeah, entertainment. Um, it's a really good one. Let's see. Wire is number five with 154. That one I don't know. Here. I don't either. Yeah. Uh, there's Machine Gun Etiquette by The Damned, number six. Ah, uh, see, this is where the international charts differ again. It's uh, Metal Box by Pill. Mm, that kind of makes sense. I imagine the English would like that album more than Machine Gun Etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a love song. Is that on that record? I don't it's know. It's the only Pill song I know. I've never listened to a full pill album. Uh, yeah, then there's Stiff Little Fingers and Flammable Material, which is one of my favorite British punk albums. Though they're not British, they're Irish. But they're Irish. you know what I mean. United Kingdom punk. But actually, they're Northern Irish, yeah, they're... so they're not. <laughs> they're not in the UK either. Well, right? Northern Ireland is in the UK. They're not Great Britain. Well, I don't know. I don't know my geography very well. It's. There's Ireland and then there's Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland is the part that's in the UK. And that's Correct. where like all the like the the terrorism the terrorism I don't want to call it terrorism because I don't That's true. That is the narrative that the English put on. Yeah. I mean some of it certainly does qualify as terrorism. I mean, I don't know. It's, Nail bombs it's in civilian squares. I mean, yeah. I don't know. For political purposes. Yeah. Um yeah, it's we're like the IRA and stuff kind of works yeah, out of. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, and Diffle Fingers are from Belfast, which is right there in Northern Ireland. And yeah, and uh, Ire- Ireland itself is an independent country. Yeah. I remember reading, like, li- watching a difference between, like, this is what England is, this is what Great Britain is, and this is what United Kingdom is, like, the different, you know, the difference between them. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I still want to say Ireland is like considered part of the United Kingdom, but it's not part of Great Britain. Or that. I, I don't know. One of them is just the the island itself, and that includes what Scotland too. I don't know. Yeah, We're I mean Scotland is can't. part of the UK. <laughs> yeah, British politics. <laughs> Let's see how uninformed we are about British politics, so that we can talk about British punk bands from 1979. <laughs> just yeah. get that up front. What else is on here? There's XTC, Drums and Wires. Which, what's on that XTC record? I've never listened to any XTC records. I like XTC. Mm. I don't know if I do or not. I don't know any of these song titles by off the top of my head, so I don't... I know I've heard stuff from this record and enjoyed it, but it's not... It doesn't have my favorite stuff that I've heard. They're from Swindon. Uh, yeah, it's actually one of their higher rated albums. Like, Drums of Wires, Black Sea, and English Settlement are, like, their highest. Yeah. Oh, until you get up to 98. Oh, that's just a collection of stuff. Um, uh, number 10 is The Slits. 
in their album cut. Who is Contortions? How are they number 11? I don't know. The, uh, the international charts, number 11 is The Fall, live at the Witch Trials. Of course. And then... Wow, The Fall doesn't show up until 17 on the U.S. charts. <laughs> yeah. They're not as popular here, for sure. Um, yeah, Buzzcocks, different kind of tension. That's interesting. That's down at 15 on the international charts. Hmm. And What's your 12? Number 12 on the is the Undertones self-titled album. Uh, that's, that's 13 here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see, anything else notable? There's Crass, Feeding a 5,000. Um, the Three Imaginary Boys by The Cure came out in 79. That's like the, what? That's the first Cure album. Maybe. Yeah. There's a Devo Duty Now for the Future. Yep. I don't, I don't, what's that one? That's the second full length, um... It's where they started to get more synthy uh, and less guitar, weird guitar stuff. Um, That's where they started to turn into the Devo that you know. Yeah. Uh, There's the Germs, GI, anything. See, there's a a magazine record on here. There's Patti Smith Group's Wave. The Incredible Shrinking Dickies and Dawn of the Dickies. Yeah, there's two Dickies albums. Oh, here comes the UK subs. Uh, (laughs) Another kind of blues. Pure Ubu. Yeah. Yeah, Pure Ubu. uh, Interesting band. And I I can see some similarities from them and uh, our album. So that'd be a good segue. Yeah. Which I got to our our album here at number 39 on the international charts. Oh, oh shit. That's way higher than... Yeah. It's 61 on the U.S. charts. Huh. Yeah, so we wound up with number 61 for the albums on the U.S. charts, and it is the band Punishment of Luxury, and the album is called Laughing Academy. <laughs> highly rated who is this band there's no one famous in the band mm. they didn't record with anybody very famous uh, they did a peel session that's the most notable thing honestly mm-hmm. they reunited in the late 80s at, or like mid 80s at some point and then they reunited again recently just to like play some shows here or not here but i guess in the uk um they played at a pub yeah <laughs> They didn't expect anybody actually cared that they got back together, and they just played in a pub. <laughs> and apparently, like it, 
sold out and like people were selling scalping tickets on like eBay or something. It's weird. Um, they wound up putting out a new album in 2012. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. I didn't see that. Oh, huh. Interesting. So when I look at the charts again, it's actually moved up from 61 to 58. So someone's been rating this album since <laughs> <laughs> since we originally pulled the numbers. That's funny. Well, it shows up at 58 on the... It shows up in two places on the international charts. Two places? So for some reason, there's there's two versions of it showing up. That is weird. Seems like an error. Mm, what do you think of this thing? Um, <laughs> I just saw this album showed up shows up on or this band shows up on a list called "Hey, This Isn't Devo." <laughs> <laughs> um, that kind of sums up what I thought about this album. Hey, this isn't that's, Devo. <laughs> that's what I thought too. Like I was like, this reminds me of early Devo before like the synths go crazy. Yeah, this is very much sounds like it was wanting to sound like "Are We Not Men" by Devo. Yeah, there's a. I feel like there's a little pure ubu in there with like the art punk tendencies. Definitely a little bit of wire. Yeah, yeah. I I even this probably is more accurate for our EP later. But I heard a little bit of um, Adam and his ants on in there too. I did too. I was gonna say that that was one of the things I was gonna. Yeah. I wanted to talk about like kind of, and there. This is the year, 79 is the year of the first Adam and the Ants album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Dirk Wears White Socks. Yeah. Which is not an album I've listened to all the way through. No. I haven't either. That's not the one I go to. I tend to go for Prince Charming and um, what's the one after that? Well, you go for the the solo Adam Ant records, right? <laughs> oh, that's true. I do have like a couple solo albums. I do have Prince Charming as well. Uh, Kings of the Wild Frontier is the other one. Yeah. Do I own one? I don't think I own that one. Maybe. Yeah, I have a couple of his solo albums too, which those are good too. Until you get to like later material. Yeah, Friend or Foe. That's the one I like as a solo album. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like Adam Ant is incredibly underrated. Well, he got very popular and was very like gimmicky stage presence. Um, like. I don't know, the costumes and the face paint and the... Mm-hmm. But he was part of that, what, New Romantics thing, though, too, wasn't he? Like, uh, everybody was kind of wearing costumes that... Well, uh, Punishment of Luxury was wearing costumes, too. Yeah. Or, you know, silly outf- outfits and stuff like that. So, yeah, I <clears throat> ended up actually kind of doing a, lo- a little bit of reading about Punishment of Luxury and... Just because, like, I was intrigued enough by this album. Mm-hmm. Like, you could definitely hear the contemporary influences, and um, there's some interesting parts. Yeah, yeah, solid. There are like solid musicianship all ar- all around, and e- mm-hmm. some really interesting and like pretty catchy melodies. Mm-hmm. I just wish that they were more serious. <laughs> yeah like every single song is like a like a gimmicky like character song like it's just telling a story almost 
like they're all like half of them are like sci-fi stories yeah one's some about being a robot some about going to space and yeah uh, and then there's like some songs about like murder which i thought were interesting like that song obsession Stalker who, yeah, mm-hmm. kills his who kills um, his object of desire, and then the, by the end of it, he like doesn't even believe that she's dead. Like he's just delusional. Like it's an interesting concept for a song, but it's also a story. I don't. I have a hard time with story songs. I tend there's not as much replay value in them for me. Like, yeah, yeah. This um the history of the band on on wikipedia does really sum up from a background working in left-wing english fringe theater groups <laughs> yeah i found their name too it was um the mad bongo theater group jeez <laughs> oh, yeah which which reminds me because oingo boingo got their start as like a performance art group too like they were like i can't remember they had a longer name too but it was Knights of Oingo Boingo something. And there are similarities there. Yeah. With Punishment of Luxury or Punilux or Punilux. I don't know how you pronounce it when it's been shortened like that. Yeah. Once again, I'd rather listen to Oingo Boingo. Yeah. Out of all the bands we've compared them to, I'd rather be listening to them. Yeah. They got compared to XTC a lot. And I guess I hear it. But, I don't know. I don't really. Yeah, once again, I'd rather listen to XTC. (laughs) (laughs) It's just more cohesive. Like, for doing kind of similar things, like, all of the other more popular, better-known bands that that we've compared them to, like, they're just more cohesive. They're more Mm -hmm. unified in, in terms of what they're doing. Like, this record, it's a little all over the place, and then it's just like... The vocal performance doesn't really bring it all together. It's not, as, it's not as strong as it could be. Except, like, um, there's a song, it's one of the bonus tracks, and it was on one of their EPs. It was called Secrets. 
that should have been on this album because that song is actually really good and like it has a strong vocal part and a lot of harmonies like it felt like that one could have been a hit song i mean i don't know if it was in the uk or not but it was a single i know that but it seems like it could have been a crossover hit in the states if it just had the right you know push behind it uh this album came out on united artists records um i i don't know if they're at all related to the film company united artists Um, i wondered about that they may be because the label started purely to release soundtracks. So I'm, I don't know if it was, if there was a connection, but then over time they decided to actually, you know, sign artists and put out albums. Yeah, it must've been but, the, the record label imprint of the, of the film distributor. Maybe. Um, like one of the first albums they did was it's a mad, 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 mad world soundtrack. So they've been around for a while <laughs> at this point. Uh, they did get absorbed by EMI, so they are no longer a label anymore. But who else has an EMI swallowed up? Yeah, uh, this um, this band was hard to find information on. Mm-hmm. Um, most of what I came up with was like just reviews from people who were fans when yeah. the record came out. Um, they um, yeah, this one really long review that's on the rate your music which <laughs> yeah. is probably the most informative one um yeah like it talks about their uh hmm yeah it talks about some other other like influences as far as like glam rock and stuff like uh david bowie and uh it talks about some of their other other prog influences too like frank zappa i can definitely hear both of those um yeah the- you know when i first started uh uh for when we first pulled this album up, I was worried it was going to be like a Frank Zappa or like a Captain Beefheart prog bullshit album, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be real bad." But yeah, luckily it's not. But there are those elements there. Yeah, I definitely hear more of the Bowie, like the weird Bowie stuff. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> one person saying they, uh, who would have guessed that there were already some funk metal bands. <laughs> back in 79 yeah 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 i would there is it some has weird a, funk to it it has a kind of funk metal feel in like a really annoying way <laughs> i just it was just too silly like i don't know like it doesn't feel like they took it seriously enough they and even like their social commentary and like science fictiony influences, like I feel like they really could have done them better justice. They were just like really like art school. Like, yeah. isn't this provocative? <laughs> well, this is my problem with art punk in general. Yeah, well, I th- yeah, it's it's the worst subgenre of punk, I think. Right? Like, I feel like. I can't think of very many art punk bands that I even find remotely entertaining. The closest you get is like Oingo Boingo and Talking Heads. And they still made a goal of crafting songs. You know? (laughs) I think that's the problem with a lot of art punk bands is they're like, they're more emphasized on the art or music as more of a tool than crafting good music. 
you know, I think there's I don't a, know if that makes sense. I don't know. I think there's a difference between like bands that you could classify as art punk, like I don't know, like Pierre Ubu or Richard Hell or Television, and then mm-hmm. bands that want to be art punk. Because <laughs> like I feel like I mean you could classify XTC and Wire as art punk and Talking Heads as art punk bands, but I don't I don't think that any of those bands were like we're going to be art punk like i just think that they they played punk or punk adjacent music that drew from maybe more intellectual areas of of art and i don't know like yeah or they're not kind of drawing on like a bauhaus like i don't know i don't know i i feel like a lot of art punk bands are just they tend to go too abstract or just just that is definitely the problem with this record for me Mm -hmm. it's too abstract it doesn't feel like because you mentioned obsession and like it's definitely like that's interesting Mm. but it's it feels like a short story more than like a punk song and then like there's other songs that i what set me off on doing some research actually was um, more research on this band was the second song funk me. Okay, I'm going to pull up the lyrics because I actually want to, like, dive into it a little bit. (laughs) While you're looking that up, I'll say what I think it's about and what I've seen interpretations of. It's, like, making fun of, like, those disco dudes with the gold medallions around their necks that are, like, going to, you know, going to clubs to try and get laid. I think that's what the song is supposed to be about. Yeah, Um yeah, so they have, and they have multiple songs like that. Yeah. Um, that song, and then also uh, British Baboon. That song worried me. Right, and that's why I wanted, like, kind of wanted to <laughs> read more, because I was looking at, like, Funk Me, and it's like, it seems like this song that's really critical of, being critical of funk and disco music, 
And then yeah. the song British Baboon, which is definitely very critical of like club culture. Um, I was very nervous that that was actually a like a racist song, right? Like I had to look that one up too because I was like, "What is this song about?" And and then in conjunction think, with having a song called "All White Jack" on this record, yeah, yeah, I saw that too, and I was like, oh, "What is this band's deal?" So I did, uh, um, I did look like I read into the lyrics, and I'm like, "You could definitely, like, you could read this, interpret these songs." Um, funk me and british baboon specifically as just being like making fun of like club culture and like i mean british baboon is definitely about rape culture i mean like and yeah um it, yeah it's, it is because it, it talks about like being a caveman and like you know clubbing women over the head and dragging them it's it's meant to be critical obviously it's just that yeah it's 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 hidden behind it's supposed to be a metaphor but the problem is that metaphor is, is used by has, racists to yeah. criticize <laughs> black people so yeah it so it's all, it's more of a it feels more like a poor choice in metaphor right cuz i read the lyrics and i was like well it doesn't specifically well and then the song all white jack itself what is, that? is um that one seemed critical. I'm black, too. I'm red, I'm white, I'm all three in the night, all look the same to me. I see you try to split the people with your tricks, play hangman with yourself, crack the whip. Um, white man, superior white man, you're a superman, it's a super plan, we are no angels, I'm all white, Jack. It's very critical. Uh, it, mm-hmm. When you listen to like the tone of his voice and the way it's sung, it's it's definitely critical of like of white nationalism, of, of mm-hmm. racist... Uh, punks in particular i think yeah, um racist skins and i did find something that said that they had some their gigs were actually um were actually picketed by the national front oh okay so it seems like they were definitely an anti-racist band <laughs> yeah um it just uh, i was caught off guard by some other like i felt like it was funk me was maybe like in bad taste because like they definitely are drawing on funk music a mm-hmm. lot and it felt like well do you like funk or not because i mean <laughs> you're playing those rhythms so yeah you're clearly inspired by it musically so because you hear it in other songs too it's not just them going well we're gonna we're gonna make fun of funk and play some funk in the funk song but they have it in other they have it in other songs as well so it's Obviously, it has an impact on them. Yeah, it, they're interesting. Like, there was a. I think the song Babylon mm-hmm. is maybe like the most like straightforward punk song. Yeah, I feel like that's one of. It was one of the faster songs, yeah. wasn't it? It was one that it's I enjoyed more than it, the others. Though it's also it's like also four, four minutes, minutes long. long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so maybe I just enjoyed the first half of it and then tuned out the rest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They actually have a lot of over four minutes. There's Funk Me is four minutes long. Obsession's four minutes and forty three seconds. Radar Bug slash Metropolis is five minutes and forty three seconds. British Baboons four minutes and three seconds. Babylon's four minutes. And Laughing Academy is five minutes. This is a long album for Yeah, after Babylon I was done though. Like I was yeah. ready for it to be over. 
And because I was having a decent amount of time listening to it until, yeah, that's probably about the point where I'm like, oh, please end soon. <laughs> I mean, it's always a bad sign when you're wanting an album to be over with. Uh, yeah. And I definitely I mean, did. it's a 41-minute record. It's really not that long. I mean, by punk standard, Why it's long, it s- but it just feels really long. Yeah. Because it does by the time they long. get to, yeah halfway through the the b-side you're like they've clearly done everything that they're gonna do (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. which is strange because like i said if you go look at some of the bonus tracks there's some good stuff there that i wished was actually album material like the song secrets was great um and then i think the song brain bomb is really entertaining it's like a faster song too and then also uh, baby don't jump i think was another like a solid pop song though there are two some of like there's one of the worst songs they have is on that bonus track so number 15 jellyfish Ugh. <laughs> sounds like you know that fish heads fish heads song <laughs> no fish heads fish heads roly-poly fish heads <laughs> you don't know that i'm unfamiliar uh well it sounds kind of like that uh yeah i see a lot of people t- when they talk about this band they talk about so underrated so good like and i'm like i don't think they're underrated uh Mm-mm. I think that they're Actually, pretty correctly rated. I think they're overrated in the scale of these charts. Yeah, but I'm saying like, like in in terms of like general perception of the of the band, uh, general yeah. critical reception, it's kind of like 1979 artsy punk, like not bad for mm-hmm. what it is, but really nothing groundbreaking or really impressive. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess we can talk about who's in the band. Um, nobody did anything big. Um, so there's Brian Bond on vocals. Uh, not to be confused with uh, <laughs> the modern punk dude, PJ Bond's brother, Brian Bond. <laughs> I say that because when you click on Brian Bond's name on Discogs, it also links in a album by PJ Bond and Brian Bond. So I was like, that's not the same guy. That's yeah, like 20 years younger than him. It's just funny how they get that wrong. Um, uh, the guitars were Neville Luxury and Red Helmet. And Neville Luxury actually did release a solo album or two. Um, the bass is Jimmy G- Gyro or Giro or Gyro. I don't know. And the drums are Les Denim. But I also kept seeing people say Steve Secret was the drummer. And so I don't know. I don't know. If you look at Discogs, it says Les Denim is the 
one on the album, so I don't know if the Steve Secret guy was the live drummer or whatever, but... And, most interestingly, this album was produced by Mike Howlett, um, who... It looks like Steve Secret was replaced on drums, um, and I think whoever, yeah, whoever replaced Steve Secret, Les Denham, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, is who actually played on the album, yeah. Yeah. Um, The album was produced by Mike Howlett, who played in the band Gong, and the band Strontium 90, and do you know who that band is? Because I didn't. I had to look this up. No. That band went on to become The Police. Uh, Oh. But without Mike Howlett. Right. Because I didn't think Mike Howlett was a member of of The Police. That didn't sound familiar. No. Stuart Copeland and Sting and the other guy. (laughs) Adam something, I think. (laughs) Yeah, it's just funny because it's like, uh, I guess I'm going to leave the band now and start a producing career and oh what you turned into st- you turned into Stratium the 90 oh. isn't going anywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but i mean not to talk shit about this dude because he did actually produce albums by um flock of seagulls thompson twins gang of four berlin and orchestra maneuvers in the dark who weirdly have an album called punishment of luxury did he produce that album i don't think so uh, no he didn't yeah, I kept seeing that album come up. That's really because if yeah. you try and yeah, if you just put in that album title, that album comes up. Which the name is drawn from the name of a painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called yeah, it's called Punishment of Luxury, and it's by Giovanni Segantini. I don't know. <laughs> which it's a interesting looking painting. Yeah, I looked it up. Um, did you know it's also not... That's not the original name of that painting? I did read that it was... The name was originally The Punishment of Lust, which was... It, it was called The Punishment of Luxury because then... By the gallery. Or, they changed yeah. the name of it because it thought lust was too provocative or something. But Punishment of Luxury is too vague, so I don't... <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look at the painting, the name Punishment of Lust makes way more sense. Yeah. It was an interesting painting. It made me want to look more at that artist, but I didn't, so obviously not that much. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Let's see. Yeah, uh, so when EMI purchased United Artists, uh, Punishment of Luxury was working on another album, and EMI dropped the band and shelved the record. Hmm. So they were like, nah, we don't want this, because <laughs> I guess it wasn't a huge hit financially. They released a few more albums, but they they broke up before the end of the 80s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then they reinformed in 2007 and released a new album in 2012, and I guess they still play occasionally? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I dig the album cover. It looks cool. Yeah, it is, it is a cool album cover. I don't think that the um, album actually lives up to it, though. this is definitely the kind of album that i would be really interested in if i saw it like if i saw it in a record store i would be like what's this and i would probably go listen to it on the turntable but yeah i wouldn't buy it (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely one of those albums you pick it up you take it to the turntable you put it on you skip around on it and you're like Mm -hmm. put it back (laughs) i've done that many a time Uh. 
I'm yeah, always interested. A... I like. I'm always really curious about. Like, I wish I could buy records that I just thought looked cool. Mm-hmm. And like, because when we were just back in, we we were in L.A. Um, last week. Like, I, we were in this bookstore downtown, and I was looking through their vinyl selection, and like, they I kept picking up stuff that I'm like, that looks interesting, and it's like cheap. So I'm like, should I buy it? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I can't buy a record just for the album cover. I just no. This isn't this isn't 2000 when you didn't have a way to listen to music. Yeah. Uh, you knew the radio single and you knew the band was. Yeah, <laughs> buying albums blind was such a such a risk back then. And then you'd had to convince yourself that you liked it, even if you didn't really. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is an album that you would do that with. You're just like, yeah. I, I bought it. <laughs> so yeah. I gotta like it. Yeah, it has a 3.51 on Rate Your Music. Uh, that seems high. That seems too high. I wouldn't give it that rating. I don't think it should be in the top 100 of uh, punk albums for that year. Because like, what, what came after that that should be rated higher? Let's see. There's a Simple Minds record. An alternative TV record, Generation X, yeah, I, a Link Ray record. What? Yeah, Sham sixty nine. Like I would put all those above. Well, maybe not Sham sixty nine, but yeah, I would put all of those above this one. I, what, what, what should you? I want to say it's a two point seven five. Like there's there's some creativity there. There's some interesting moments. I like the guitar tone on a couple of these songs. It's like, which it's a little beefier than you'd expect. Yeah, uh, the bass playing is really good. Um, mm. Yeah, I just can't get into it. Mm-mm. So like, a for effort, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. In terms of my like actual enjoyment, yeah, two point seven five sounds about right. Because it's not something I'm going to come back to. Yeah. Yeah. Probably never. Yeah. Like, and I'm not going to even, like, I'm not going to even throw any of these songs on, like, a a playlist just for, like, novelty and, like, Mm. just to have something different, you know, other than the normal stuff that I'm always putting on playlists. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm listening to the same stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, So I always try and, like, put stuff that I don't normally listen to and then yeah I don't think I'd even do that with any of these songs <laughs> I don't I would with some of the bonus tracks I guess I, that song Secrets I, I keep mentioning it but it's uh, it's actually a pretty decent tune you might have to look that one up speaking of can't getting into how about we go into our EP yeah <laughs> this next band is the definition of huh huh I don't know they're a band yeah um do you want to enter this one so yeah number 55 on our ep list from 1979 is the addicts uh lunch with the addicts
Mm-hmm. It's short. It's eight <laughs> minutes long. It's got some good parts. Oh yeah, <clears throat> I joke. I joke mainly on the fact that it's the addict, and not actually from the music on this EP, Be- because the addicts. You know how when we were doing TSOL on our first episode, and I said they're a band that nobody cares about. Yeah. The addicts make me. They're the British version of a band that nobody cares about, that have been around forever. Forever, yeah. I mean, they put out a record last year. <laughs> yeah, and they started in 1975. Yeah, yeah. They um as Afterbirth and the Pins. Oh my god. <laughs> That's like before punk even. I guess that was probably a pub rock album or something. Or a pub rock band. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because they didn't put out a full length until 81. Right. This is their first release ever. It's four tracks. Um, I like them, though. Like, it kind of sounds like uh, The Damned, you know? Yeah. Actually sounds a lot like The Damned. You could tell they were heavily influenced by Mm -hmm. them. In many ways, because... They are very, they are a very theatrical band too. Yeah. Though the particular theater they decided to perform in is uh, uh, a little questionable. Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Everybody in the band is dressed like a droog from Clockwork Orange, which, if you haven't seen that movie, uh, it's like all white jumpsuits and like black boots and bowler hats. And like face paint, like the little, the under your eye, um, eyelashes, yeah. like painted on your face. Except for the lead singer who wears like Joker face paint and like super colorful suits and he throws confetti and he's a, he's a big clown. That's basically what he is. Is that why nobody really likes the addicts? It's because they're fronted by a clown? Yeah, I mean, they, you can't take them seriously because when they dress like <laughs> droogs and clowns, like, it's just, it's silly. It's just silly. It's off-putting. It's, it's off-putting. Like, I don't like clowns in the first place. Uh, well, yeah, and then Clockwork Orange is, like, just gross. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing piece of art, but it's not a movie I like watching. Not, yeah, it's not something, yeah actually enjoy i mean enjoy. I, I know a lot of kubrick fans really enjoy that movie it's fine and I, I understand why you could enjoy the movie but i personally it's just too upsetting of a film <laughs> to get enjoyment out of um, let alone to dress like that all the time and just like get real yeah. into that Ugh. even in 2018 still dressed that way <laughs> yeah um it's funny I think our cousin saw the addicts. <laughs> he did say he saw them, didn't no, he? No, not that cousin. No, not that cousin. <laughs> Which one? Leah. Oh, weird. When she had that, like, two-year punk period. Um, <laughs> the addicts. That's yeah, weird. I think that her and her friend went and saw them, because they played at, like, not the Tremont, but the other one. Amos's South End? Yeah. Yeah, which apparently is going to be back open, and one of the first shows they're going to do is Joyce Manor. That's kind of cool. Weird. Yeah. That's good that there's an independent music venue in Charlotte reopening. Well, the milestone's still there. Yeah. But to be honest, nobody 
goes there anymore. Nobody plays there anymore. That's it's weird. Like something happened. Nobody cares about the milestone anymore. I don't know. Strange. Anyway, did you? Um, local, uh, I also got some Adam and um, I did. I did addicts EP too. Mostly in like the harmonies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely some adamant there. Uh, yeah, it felt like a combination of the damned and adamant. And you know, I wish that it actually continued in that sound because their full lengths don't really sound like that. They went in like an oi direction. Yeah, yeah, that's what I and, always thought they were. Yeah, and oi oi doesn't have a great. Um, they don't oi bands don't do well in the states. I guess it's the best way to put it. Um, well, they're not very good generally, so. No, most are not. And then there's also being tied in with the skinhead culture, and it's too. There are. I guess part of it is too because there are so many Nazi oi bands that everybody's like, I don't, I don't want to take the gamble. I don't want to take the risk of accidentally seeing a Nazi band. Yeah, I don't want to research. <laughs> is this oi band a? non-racist skin or nazi skin yeah and then you have to like parse their lyrics for like are they like are they covert are there like dog whistles in here or are they coding just gonna avoid all oi and skinhead related music that isn't like ska and like the bands that i know are definitely not racist (laughs) you know it's funny i don't think i've ever heard of a, a a nazi ska band you can't I mean, you <laughs> I mean, you can't play Scott and be a Nazi. Yeah, it's just it's too happy. So derivative, <laughs> and it's so yeah, it's so deeply rooted it's in wrong. Jamaican music. Cuban, yeah, in, not Cuban, but um, Caribbean music. Yeah, that's true. Because I well, there there's a little a, bit of Cuban influence too, as well. That's what that's what there's Scott a lot and of, reggae um, is. It's there's a lot of skinheads in reggae and Scott. I didn't think of that too. That's funny. Never made that connection. Yeah, well, I mean, that's where skinheads—that's where skinheads come from. I mean, we're uh, yeah. we're doing, we're reenacting um, like a hard style, hard times headline right now. It's impossible to <laughs> to be a non-racist skinhead and not. Uh, oh, was he? It's impossible to talk about third wave or original ska and not talk about how skinheads weren't originally racist i think that's the headline <laughs> yeah i mean it, it comes from from reggae and rocksteady mm-hmm. yeah I, I pulled up the ep list for um 1979 as well and like just to see if there was like something similar going on and it feels like punk it in 79 was moving away from what the addicts were just starting to do. So like if you look at the AUPs around this time, you've got um number one is the Cramps Graves Hits, which throw a callback to our um, Halloween episode. Yeah. Um and number two is the Misfits Horror Business. Um there's a Clash EP, there's a Killing Joke EP, um U two has like an EP. <laughs> Scritty Politty is probably the closest thing to what the addicts were doing at this time. But it's just funny. Like, it looks like a, a lot of punk was moving away from what the addicts were just starting to yeah, do the, by the time their first TV came out. The addicts are very much a Johnny Come Lately punk band. <laughs> yeah. like, just like 
oh, we really love those damned records. Let's try and make some punk records that sound <laughs> like that. And then, like, people aren't into that anymore. And yeah. The damned don't sound like that anymore. And yeah. Because even by, what, 79 Machine Gun Etiquette, yeah, the damned had yeah. grown quite a bit in their sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, neat, 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 or damn, damn, damn came out in 77. Yeah. And this is just a copy of that album. Yeah. Less good, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, to be honest, I like this better than uh, the Punishment of Luxury album. Yeah, I did too. Um, yeah, it was their first release. Um, it came out on Dining Out Records, which didn't release anything else well known. Um, the band members were Monkey. Spider, Pete D, Kid D, and Tim Hawking. <laughs> and Tim Hawking. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling they didn't have the nicknames until later, and Tim Hawking is only on this and one other EP. <laughs> so I'm <a> s- <laughs> So, like, everybody's got a nickname except for Tim Hawking. <laughs> Monkey, Spider, Kid D, Pete D, and Tim. <laughs> and Tim. Uh, or or, t- or Tim weird. just was like I don't want a fucking nickname <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any fucking nicknames <laughs> That's why he left me He base. just wasn't into like <laughs> The nicknames and like Costumes The costumes <laughs> Yeah if you look at the lineup the Pretty much The bass player has constantly been like a rotating, there's always been somebody different playing bass for them, but the rest of the lineup stayed the exact same up until 2007 when Spider left the band, but the rest of them, like Kid D and Pete D and Monkey, are still in the band today. They've been there since 75. Did you know they just got signed to Nuclear Blast Records? Yeah, well, I saw that that album was put out that last year. Yeah, well, last year they were signed. It's like, what? Why? Why would you put them on that label, too? I think Nuclear Blast is just anything that will sell enough copies. Yeah. <laughs> will the Attic sell enough copies? <laughs> and they don't have to invest much into it, I'm sure. Who's buying Attic CDs in 2017? Because they're buying CDs. That's who's... That's the... <laughs> that's the Attic's market. Not vinyl collectors. It's still CD collectors. People who have been buying Attic... Addicts records since the 1981. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I'll buy. I liked that one record, so I'll just keep buying everything they put out. I didn't realize they had signed to a major and changed their name to ADX Addicts. Why? Because the label thought that it was too. Uh, uh, because it implied heroin use, so they were. <laughs> They made them change Why it. Why did they even get but it signed was, to a major label? It was like the mid-80s, too. It's like, what? What? Why? Also, you're still calling them the addicts. You're just not spelling it. That's the, that's well, the, and their name isn't even... It's not even... The the word isn't even spelled right. That's right. There's not enough letters. <laughs> yeah. I don't. It's weird. It's that's around the same time that the Damned got signed to MCA. It's like the majors were like real late to punk in '77, except EMI, who had what Sex Pistols. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, 
Well, it's just the thing that major labels do. They always sign up punk punk bands way too late. Mm-hmm. It's just like no one. Green Day's a hit. Let's sign Sam I Am. Yeah. What? <laughs> they don't even sound remotely the same. Yeah, but they're from Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. The Addicts, man. Yeah, I don't have much to say about The Addicts other than, yeah, my general confusion about them as a band and their longevity. <laughs> I'm just... Because they have to have stayed popular enough to keep going. Because, like, at some point, if they're not... Yeah, and I I think it's the same it's the same thing we talked about with with TSOL. It's just like they kept at it for long enough that they're now just like they have some legacy. Mhm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's and so like, people are just like, "Well, I'll listen to them because they were around in the 70s." It's like how a car becomes classified as a classic car even if it's not been kept up in good condition. Yeah. <laughs> Just once it passes that threshold of, well, you made it this long. Well, and you're a cl- you're a classic like a, now. Like a mo- more like a model of car that wasn't popular then, but like someone just kept it going <laughs> for a really yeah. long time. That it's just like one of the few survivors of that model car. You're just like, <laughs> well, most of these yeah, just got had to... crushed in <laughs> in junkyards, so. I'm curious, at what point do you think they switched over from being an also-ran to being a legend? Because it had to... It'd have to be the 90s. Like, mid-90s, maybe? Yeah. Like, it just ticked over. Just When there was no one else good still going from the 70s? Like, X? But even X was slowing down? Yeah, they took a hiatus in the 90s. See, they, you'd think that the Addicts would be one of those bands that, like, they went until the 90s, they broke up, and then they reunited in the early and 2000s. And just play the classics. But no, they just kept on going. Yeah. So weird. And with no major lineup changes. So strange. Because at least, you know, TSOL, like, turned into a completely different band. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the mid-80s. <laughs> yeah. It's strange. And maybe maybe we should listen to some of their later stuff to see how it compares, but I get the impression that they made no substantial changes to their sound. Oh, I'm sure they didn't. It, yeah. I can't think of... I don't... I thought... I liked this EP enough that I was like, I'm gonna try the LP. I got one song in, and I was like, nope, I'm done. It, it The circus music throws me off. <laughs> And I think there's circus music on every single Addicts album. Yeah. Okay. I, I pulled know. up an official music video from their newest album. <laughs> so we're going to do a little bit of a, a reaction here, I think. Oh, man. The bass player has the lead singer's face on his pick guard. Oh, interesting. And they all look like they <laughs> leaned so hard into that aesthetic. But they're all, like, really old now, so he's, like, all wrinkly under the face paint. (laughs) It's like how Kiss looks now when they wear the face paint. It's like, it's not right. (laughs) Wait, now there's someone playing a guitar who looks like Brian Setzer now. (laughs) No bowler hat. Oh, that's probably the the guy that replaced Spider. 
he they they get a new guy in the band and he's like, "So you're gonna wear the Droog outfit, Roy?" And he's like, "No." And it it's like only him and the lead singer in this video, so it's really it weird. <laughs> there he, he's in a hospital. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of weird <laughs> visuals here. How does it sound? Do you hear anything? Because I don't hear anything over here. I've got it going through my headphones, so. Mm. What's the music sound like now? Very sparse. Hmm. It's like mostly bass and drum, and then like the guitar just kind of like, like they just tracked the guitar one time, and like it's really <laughs> like broken up, and yeah, it's silly. This is just silly. <laughs> Who is going yeah. to see the addicts and listening to these records? Well, one thing I kept coming to when I was reading about them is I heard that they're a very fun live band. Like, I guess they put on a show, and that's why people go. Yeah, it can't be that fun. (laughs) They just wear costumes and he dances around. It's not that fun. He throws confetti. Yeah, I guess. Maybe he's really funny. I hope so. Yeah, it's like the Harlem Globetrotters of punk music. <laughs> yeah. You don't go for the actual basketball playing. You go for the tricks. <laughs> oh, he's going to throw the bucket of water. But it's not actually water. It's just confetti. <laughs> yeah, I don't like clown shit, so no. I'm, not, I'm not into it. Well, uh, I'd give this EP a 3.0. Yeah, same. It's fine. I enjoyed it more than I expected to. Yeah. And I enjoyed it more than the album so that we talked about today. So, Yeah. It's a comparative, yeah. I guess. I bet if you listen to it on its own, you may not rate it as highly. I don't know. Well, I guess that does it for uh, these episodes. This episode. These episodes? <laughs> <laughs> so, next week... Um, we are going to be doing the year 1995, which I'm very happy to do, though the last time we did an episode from the 90s, it was Sam I Am, and that is still our least listened to episode. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Nobody, nobody wants to read about, listen to Sam I Am, listen to us talk about them. Um, so we got the year 1995, and why don't you tell us what the album is? So we drew number nine from 1995 and I am really annoyed that we didn't get either of the (laughs) records on either side of this album Um, but we're going to talk about Unwound, the future of what what and what we could have talked about number 10, Unsane, Scattered, Smothered and Covered or number 8 one of my personal favorites, Jawbreaker, Dear You God damn it. <laughs> so close. So close to Jawbreaker, dear you. Uh, too too bad this isn't uh, horseshoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I pulled up number 117 on the EP list, and uh, we got Honeywell, and the EP is Electric Kool-Aid. Um, that one is on YouTube. It's not on Spotify, but The Unwound is on Spotify. I'm 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 happy to talk about Honeywell though. They were like one of those good screamo bands from the '90s. So. Yeah, and I think there will be plenty to talk about 
when we talk about this on my yeah. record. I'm just like, ugh. We could have yeah. had Jawbreaker. We- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds like the fest this year. Could have had Jawbreaker. Right. Why didn't we get Jawbreaker? <laughs> well, anyway. It's, uh... Yeah, so that'll do it for this show. Um, you can follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at punklottopod. We have an email address. It's punklottopod at gmail.com. Our website is punklottopod.simplecast.fm. And anything I missed? Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Though uh, we have a consistent base um, downloading us every week now, which is pretty cool. I'm I'm happy to see like it's it's roughly the same numbers every week, but it's still it's cool to see the same amount of numbers, <laughs> you know. Or you didn't go down. You don't have less downloads, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's much appreciated. Yeah. Um. Well, cool. Um, what kind of clip from a movie or TV show should I play to go out on this episode? <laughs> Anything clown related? Is there, uh, <laughs> is there like a Simpsons uh, Clockwork Orange quote? Oh, there is actually. <laughs> there is. Did he? Because Bart dresses up like uh, yeah, yeah, in one of the Treehouse of Horror episodes. So. <laughs> maybe plug that one in here. Maybe unless I find something funnier. <laughs> Well, that'll There's do it. Quite a few Clockwork Orange references. Yeah. <laughs> the Ludovico technique with uh, with uh, um, Santa's little helper. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Did we win? Um, I'm gonna say no. We didn't lose by a lot. We, right? We, yeah, we went in and we. That last one, we almost we almost got back to where we needed to be, but to break even, but uh, it just fell just slightly short. <laughs> our, our gambling metaphors are not consistent with how lotteries work. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. We've got the slot machine on the, as our logo, so yeah. <laughs> well, uh, all right, everybody. Catch you next time. Uh, Smell you play later. responsibly. Okay, for our first lesson, we'll do a little tabletop clowning, okay? Let's do it. So, you dip your finger in something, you bring it to your nose, <sniffs> happens to smell bad. Get it away from me. How you accidentally hit your finger out? Mm. And that's feces at the end of your finger, okay? All right, give it a try. All right, so, dip, smell. Ugh. Ah. You want some notes? Please, yeah. I'm not believing that your fingers smell bad. It didn't read in your eyes. This is a goof smell. Something you don't know what it smells like, really. So when you stick your fingers in, when you bring it to your nose, your eyes are going to have to tell the audience, hey, I'm smelling something goofy. So you're going to have to do a goof look in your eyes, maybe cross your eyes. Can you do that? Like this? It just looks like you're looking at tennis. No, I'm doing it. No, no, you're just shifting your eyes like this. Yeah, that's what crossing is, man. No, no, no. Relax. Breathe into the eyeballs. Look at the end of your nose like this and then let go. It's simple. Take a look at the end of your nose. Nice. And then gradually just look up. Looking up. Looking up. There you go. Eyeballs up. Eyeballs up. 
Okay, that looks too kabuki. That's too kabuki. What's a kabuki? It's a Japanese clown. Yeah, dog. I knew them cats was down with it.